1: From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available Intelligent 4-Wheel Drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent 4-Wheel Drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
2: This on? Hello? Hello?
3: We're all science people. Science! Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. We can teach kids and they get it. There's
0: chemistry in here. There's biology in here.
3: It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in
2: who you fall in love with. That's the recipe for success. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where Science Rules. It's a call-in show, and if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, leave us a voicemail at 201-472-0785 or go to askbillnye.com. And you can check me out on all the social media to find out about our upcoming guests. But today I'm joined once again by Science Writer, editor, and dear friend Corey S. Powell.
0: Greetings, Corey. Greetings, Bill S. Nye. So, you know, Bill, one of the things that I love about the show, besides getting to talk to you, of course, is we get to explore all these ideas that are very, very far from everyday experience. We get to talk about black holes, neutrinos, things that are far away. But one of the other things I love about the show is that we can also bring it back home and come close to things that are right in our everyday experience. So... I'm fascinated. I'm excited. I'm intrigued by this week's show, in which we have two experts on what some people call America's sport. Uh, and I have to confess, um, I was a bit on the small side to make much of an impact on the football field as a kid. But I That's can't wait pun. to hear what they That's have to a say. Pun. Oh, it's an impact. an impact! Making an impact! Make an impact! Yes, uh, my my uh, my momentum, my mass times velocity was a little on the low side. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: We're going to talk about American football. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a Super Bowl. There's all sorts of things. So you talk about impacts. Anyway, so to talk about American football and science rules, we are going to talk about the science of American football. And today we are joined by two very special guests. Our first is a returning guest, Dr. Anisa Ramirez, author of The Alchemy of Us, How Humans and Matter Transformed One Another. And new to the show is John Urschel, Ph.D. candidate in mathematics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Wait, there's more. He's also <laughs> a former offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens. Greetings, greetings, Anise and John. Thank you so much for doing the show. What a combo. Now, <laughs> I know, it's cool. So hang on, Anise, I got to ask, you know, of course, it's none of my business, of course, but how much hands-on experience do you have with football?
3: Well, besides writing Newton's football. Um, uh, yeah, I was a in book, gr-
2: about football, Newton's book about football. A book about football. The physics yeah. of football. Yeah, yeah.
3: But in graduate school, we had a uh, co-ed intramural uh, group. And we were, it was the material science department. We were called the dislocations. See, because uh, that
2: uh, New- that's what happens to, to atoms and uh, in in substrates. It, yeah, that,
3: that's right. So, you know, we, were, we, we thought we were funny at the time.
2: Well, sure. And, of course, the occasional dislocated uh, arm socket situation right. concept. So, uh, and John, you played uh, center. Mm-hmm. Center and guard. And guard, you know, the next guy over. What gets me, and I'd like both of you to comment on this, is how fast modern players are. Geez, Louise, yeah. you know, I grew up in the 1960s. These guys were, you know, big and tough and they ran fast. And so, but you all in the modern world, it's like, what is going on? And it goes as uh, simply put, one half MV squared, right? I mean, wow.
4: Yeah, no, it's true. It's the, the way the game has changed, it's just uh, amazing from you know when my dad grew up watching football to when I was playing. They're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Everyone on the field is much more athletic. And you don't just see this in football. I think you see this in, in all
3: sports. Usually you get a big guy, but he's not that fast. But you got big guys that are fast. And that was one of the things that we were talking about in Newton's football, meaning that. You know, in the 1920s, there was about one guy that was one or two guys that were 300 pounds. But now there's about 500 guys that are about 300 pounds, all very, very fast. And it's because they're trying to increase the amount of impact and momentum. It's since they're all very fast, the V is the same. P equals MV. Simply put,
2: momentum equals
3: mass times velocity. That's right. And what we have is guys that are really fast. They all have about the same V, the same velocity. So how they how do they differentiate themselves? They increase the mass. They become huger and huger so that they can uh you know, they can obliterate someone when they have an impact.
4: There's something interesting about how this has changed and in my opinion, I would say that the increased size of offensive linemen has a lot to do with how defensive line play has changed because you have these defensive linemen who are just as fast as they used to be. You don't have to be, let's say 40 yard dash fast when you're a defensive lineman. What really matters is your speed in sort of a five yard range. Uh-huh, they're you're as fast as ever as and you're bigger. Yeah. And so as an offensive lineman, yes, you need more momentum, but also you need to be harder to move. Because you not only have to run block these people, which you can do if you're lighter. So tell us about
2: run blocking versus blocking. Yes. Hang so, on.
4: as and an everybody, if lineman.
2: you're into football, blocking is what makes it different from every other sport, where you're allowed to keep to just put your body in the way.
4: Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So as a, as an offensive lineman, there are two types of plays that I have to deal with. The offense can either run the football forward. Is one way to sort of. Progress down the field, and the other way is the quarterback can take the ball, and he'll throw it to someone further down the field. That's genius. Yeah, it's that's a, what <laughs> makes football <laughs> it's, it's great different for, from rugby. That's <laughs> what I was doing wrong. <laughs> it's a great setup.
2: Yeah, so there you are. You're an offensive lineman. You got. They're either going to run or they're going to throw. How does that affect you and the defensive line?
4: Yeah, no. Of course, this is a this is a good question. If we're running the ball, this means someone has the ball and they're moving forward. And they're trying to get as far forward as possible, which means as someone sort of on the front lines, my job is just to take the person in front of me and try to move them as far back as possible. Because if I move them further back, the person behind me has f- more space to sort of run forward.
2: There's also this question of the hole where you guys try to create an opening. Right?
4: Yes. This adds a little bit more complicated <laughs> because – This is true. You want to try to allow for some person to run as far down the field as possible without getting knocked over. And there's different ways you can do this. And so there are different things called blocking schemes, which are ways to try to create as big a hole as possible. So, one natural way to try to create a hole is to try something like something called a power blocking scheme. The idea is you might have assignments where i'm blocking someone who's not in front of me necessarily but maybe to the side of me
2: and you'd specify which side and i would specify which start side. this
4: undertaking <laughs> right so there's we're told where we're going and we're deciding before we've now. agreed on it we've agreed we've agreed and the benefit of this type of blocking scheme is when i try to hit this person they're usually going forward and i'm moving sort of sideways and diagonally and because their momentum's going forward, it's much easier for me to move them, because they aren't moving in my direction. My force is. Sort You're of-
0: doing vector
4: additions. Vector additions. Yes, so like <laughs> these are vectors. So this is trying to sort of get an ideal sort of like uh, sort of vector, so that it's as easy to move them as possible.
2: Anissa, Anissa, tell us about vector addition here.
3: Oh, he just did. I mean, if the vectors were the same and they're pointing in the same direction, aligned parallel to each other but facing each other, they're gonna cancel each other out. But because he's slightly offset, part of the direction that's aligned to where he's going is being cancel would be canceled out, but he has more of that, so that's what's knocking me other It's
2: uh, out. it's billiards with humans.
3: It's billiards, yep. yeah, but there it's much, much more exciting. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <Okay>. <laughs> and he I just need to I need to jump in here with a dumb question. Given the history of the sport and the nature of the sport and its evolution for rugby, why is it even called football? I never understood that. Why foot?
3: That's, that's a good question. I don't think I sorted that out. Um, you know, football is, you know, if you go over to the UK and you say football, they're talking about soccer. When I was writing Newton's football with uh, Alan St. John, we were looking more at the, the, the ball. The ball tells you a little bit about the history of the game. And the ball shape, as we know, is this, this conical shape at the end. But it wasn't always that way. It was actually rounder. And initially it was, you know, the reason why we call it the pig skin is because it actually came from a pig's bladder. And that was very circular. That was a very spherical thing. And at that time it was kicked. And then it became a little bit more elongated. And at that point, the game was more it was a carry game, sort of like rugby. But the shape that we know today with a very with a sharper point is because it's a throwing game.
4: Is just because American football really was an adaptation of sort of the uh, European sort of like soccer football and then rugby football, both of which were sort of called football back then. And so it was a combination of the two. And so it just kept the name football. Mm-hmm.
2: And the game starts with kicking by long tradition.
4: Yes, right. yes, the game does. And
2: uh, and the, the the game is often determined at the, at the big level. It's often determined by the kicker who mm-hmm. wins. The guy who can kick it with mm-hmm. the team that point. can manage to kick it through the upright. So John... Mm-hmm. When you're on a kick, you're an offensive lineman on a kicking play, mm-hmm. you're, that's really a situation where you do not want to be displaced
4: by the oncoming defensive players, right? So, yes. Yeah, so if it's a, let's say we're trying to kick something called a field goal or an extra point where the ball is sort of placed on the ground and the kicker is trying to sort of get this ball between two uprights, in that situation, you'll see lots of offensive linemen in front and the whole purpose is to just not get displaced to try to give this kicker time and space to get this football through the uprights
2: do you do any are there tricks are there schemes where you guys are going to move side to side no no the main
4: trick is that uh often we uh we interlock our legs Hmm. oh wow really yes we interlock our legs which makes it much more difficult for any one single person to be pinpointed it makes us much you know much stronger because we're interconnected
2: oh i didn't know that all right, so when somebody throws the football, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on, isn't there, Anissa?
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and if I remember correctly, this is sort of your sweet spot, knowing this aerodynamic stuff. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, aerodynamics
2: are important, but it's yeah. really that crazy gyroscopic well, thing. It's, yeah. the
3: gyro, if you were to throw a football off the edge of the Grand Canyon, and if you had a tight spiral initially, it would just start to become like a wobbly thing until it went to the bottom. What's keeping it stable? It's first of all, it's it's only a short amount of time, just a couple of seconds. The second is that that spin is causing the nose to go up, and gravity is causing that nose to go down, and so there's this dance where the cone is tracing a little circle. Tell us about the up- cone. The cone. Wait, so is it's getting aerodynamic
0: lift as it's going? Is that? It's
3: getting. Yeah, it's the spiral. The sp- the spin of the ball. Just if you were to like put a stick through the center of the ball, that spin is causing a gyroscopic torque. And that's keeping it up. You ever seen that top where you creep a a gyroscope and if you were to tilt it, it would still keep its position up? Well, you balance it on a string. That's the most part ever, yes. Yeah, so, but that's keeping keeping it up, but also gravity is pointing it down. And so again, these two things are competing with each other. So a tight spiral really, I mean, it's beautiful, but it doesn't really exist because if you look at a very, very small level, it's actually tracing out a small circle
2: the The tip of the ball is tracing a cone, a cone. Yeah, as it goes, that's so cool. So the key to the whole thing is the lineman. So John, did you guys did you keep track of how many seconds? Did you you must have?
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. This is this is something that we practice a lot, and we we work on the timing of you. Hmm. You sort of you build an internal clock of how long you feel like you need to be able to hold the defensive lineman off so the quarterback can get the ball off. Usually the sort of standard is the ball should be gone in three seconds. Wow. That's typically three three seconds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And do you feel like, I mean, are you perceiving tiny fractions of a second? Do you have a sense of like time slowing down that you're watching these little increments as you're playing? I think I have a pretty good handle
4: on what three seconds feels like when I'm, (laughs) when I'm doing this just from, just from experience. You, you get the hang of it, and you you can always tell when the ball's been thrown. How can you tell? You can tell because the defensive lineman reacts to it. Because as soon as the ball's been thrown, he's no longer trying to get through you. And in fact, he's already starting to let up and getting ready to sort of run down the field.
2: Now, you are a center, right? So you handled the ball on every offensive play. Mm-hmm. In all this, in these three seconds, how much thinking are you doing? I mean, how much is it? planned and how much is it a reaction to what's going on
4: Mm -hmm. you have a plan before the ball is snapped you have an idea that i'm going to block this person i'm going to stop this person from getting to the quarterback but also once the ball is snapped you have to react because on any given play as an offensive lineman we all have assignments either i'm responsible for blocking a specific person or i'm responsible for blocking the person who comes to me
2: So uh, how does it
4: change when you see see it's a blitz, you know it's a blitz? So pre-snap, often you know it's a blitz. And so pre-snap, I might know, yes, I have a person in front of me, but I really know that's not who I'm going to block because, let's say, there's another player who's not on the line of scrimmage but is intending to try to sort of tackle that fascinates me when the defensive
2: guys start running right at you just as the ball's about to be snapped wow that's why it helps to be 300 pounds (laughs) so so a couple questions about that then Mm -hmm. um uh you see the guy coming at you you got you must practice all the time
4: not if i may flinching no no actually that's uh that's pretty uh i feel like that's pretty intuitive oh really Yes, because you just you know that they're not going to cross the line until the ball snapped. And as an offensive player, you know when the ball snapped.
2: And plus, you were the center a lot of the time,
4: right? Right. So I'm snapping the ball. So they're not crossing the line right. until I move this football. So I'm not.
0: Uh... It's, it's funny because I have such a different intuition when a lot of big people start running at me. I <laughs> have
3: such a different intuition. <laughs> me too, Corey. I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. No, it,
4: it happens. It happens sometimes when they time it up really well. You start to get nervous because you see them coming and you know,
3: mm.
4: you know the ball's about to be snapped. And you just know they're timing it perfectly.
2: How many counts do you learn? How many plays do you have to learn? Is it a hundred? Is it a dozen? How many different configurations do you have to memorize?
4: I would say it varies by team and sort of how complicated the scheme is. But I would generally say, as an offensive lineman, you have to learn some variation on probably 40 or so plays. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Three and dozen. a lot.
4: For each play, you have to understand that you need to know what you're supposed to do against anything the defense can do. And so each play in itself is a whole system of rules.
2: There you go. And this gets into
3: decision theory. And Anissa, you've said the quarterback's like a laptop. I did. Because a laptop as smart as it is, it's really making very simple decisions. It's just doing it very quickly. It's yes and no, yes and no, yes and no. And uh, so what quarterbacks do is they know who they should throw it to. They have a one, two, three guarantee. It's going to be either that guy. Is he a free? Is number one free? Yes or no. If, he's a, if it's a no, you go to number two. Is number two free? Yes or no. That's a no. Uh, is number three free? Yes or no. No. Then you better throw it to your guarantee, and this is a this is better for decision making because if it was just a matter of the quarterback scanning the field and you only have three seconds because you know this is what John just to- told you, you you don't have it. It takes too much uh, energy from your brain to make that decision. But if you know ahead of time who the one, two, three guarantee will be, then uh, it's easier for you to make uh, that completion.
4: Although I uh, I will add that depending on sort of where your quarterback is in terms of their experience and sort of knowledge, a lot of them have freedom to get up to the line. And it's actually not something that a laptop can do. Because a laptop is really good at dealing with simple things, simple computations and doing it quickly. But getting to the line and being able to tell before you snap the ball what coverage the defense is in or whether or not the defense is blitzing. Man-to-man versus
2: zone, for example. Man Uh, versus
4: zone. Is it uh cover two? Is it cover three? What type of – What's cover two? What's cover
2: three? What – your words are strange to me. Yes.
4: Ah, sorry. So uh, cover two versus cover three, this is a way of determining, let's say, how many defenders are going to be in the sort of back part of the field, meaning they're moving further back – to make sure that no one gets behind them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the deep, the mythic deep safety. The deep the safety. Cornerbacks. So in
4: cover two, you imagine you break the field up into halves and you have mm-hmm. a person who's responsible for that deep area.
3: Hmm.
4: One half and then another half. So two people. In cover three, you have three people responsible for this deep sort of area and it's broken into thirds. Sometimes you have these things called Tampa two, where you have two safeties, but the middle linebacker is actually responsible for a little bit of the deep third
0: mm-hmm. and so it's sort of like a mix. So strategy well, well, beyond a laptop.
4: Yeah, yeah so. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm you're not saying, saying some- I'm saying as no, quarterback it really helps if you can tell what you think you're going to get because that affects your sort of reads. Because if you know what the defense is going to do, you know exactly who's going to be open. And does the defense know that you know?
2: Right. The defense is thinking what the quarterback might be thinking and then try to juke him as the saying goes, try to make him think it's a three cover when it's really a two or a two. Yes. Really so this a is three. a thing. This
4: this is where you have this really interesting sort of like sort of little bit of game theory in there, because mm-hmm. as a quarterback or even me as a center, as a center, I am responsible for trying to tell what the defense is going to do to some extent. And the defense they have to play this sort of weird game where they need to be in position for the play that they're running, the coverage that they're in, but they also don't want it to be too obvious what they're doing. And so they're in this sort of like in-between where sometimes they just line up in what they're doing. Sometimes they pretend they're in something else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is why we call it a sport, a game. for Yeah, quite exactly. <laughs> and
4: so there's this, there's this give and take. Sometimes they act like they're not doing something. They do... Then they do do this play, but because they acted like they weren't going to do it, maybe it's a little tougher for them to get into that coverage. Or Mm -hmm. if they're acting like they're not going to blitz, but they do, we're surprised, but it takes them longer to get there because they aren't already at the line, let's say.
0: Stick around for more Science Rules after this.
1: With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available Intelligent Four-Wheel Drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent Four-Wheel Drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
2: Science Rules is back. All right, so I've got a couple specific questions.
4: What is stunt blocking Yeah. So a stunt is when the defensive linemen are not simply moving forward through their gaps. They're not just shooting off the ball and running forward, but they're actually changing responsibilities. (laughs) So a reasonable stunt might be, I'm the center and maybe Bill, you're lined up right next to me. Good for you, Bill. And I have a person on me. You have a person on you, but the person on me actually loops around to you and the person on you goes behind them and comes to me. That would be an example of a stunt. Tricky, to make you
2: lean the wrong way and try to add
4: the wrong vector to the addition. Right, because maybe the person on me, they try to get me to move with them, and then the person who was on you comes free. Or maybe the person on me tries to get between the two of us, and they get on your hip. And as soon as they get on your hip, it's game over because... Now they control you, and now I have to stop that person, and the other person's free.
2: One of my favorite play as a viewer, as a Seahawks fan, uh, is the screen pass. This is where you get people running in front of the guy who's going to catch the ball, and the guy who catches the ball is probably not across the line of scrimmage yet. That's right. What is a bubble screen?
4: Yes, so a bubble screen is a screen that's usually out to, let's say, a wide receiver or something. Where the offensive lineman we usually don't even really get over there so much. It's a screen where this person just sort of moves a little bit off the ball and sort of maybe comes towards the quarterback a little bit, catches it. The other wide receivers out there block out there, and he is usually responsible for maybe he has to beat one person. So this is something that's often, sometimes it can be added on as an extra option to a run play, or sometimes it can just be called. What's the difference between a screen and a bubble screen? So when I typically think of screen, if I'm going to use my definition, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I usually think of this as something that takes a few seconds to develop. Oftentimes, blockers get out in front of this person to help sort of once they catch the ball to help them get downfield. A bubble screen is something that happens very quickly at the snap of the ball and is usually going out to someone on sort of the sides of the field.
2: So... as the center Mm -hmm. this is so cool so as the center you're going to be the guy that's going to start the whole thing Mm -hmm. right so the guy behind you aka the quarterback Mm -hmm. how do you guys communicate as you tap you on the butt like what happens out there
4: so it depends (laughs) it depends on where we are if we're let's say in our own city if we're in our home stadium Mm -hmm. then he'll verbally tell me when to snap the ball. We'll, we'll like that, right? right. So that means go, so you just were saying go <laughs> on two. So I'm gonna snap the ball sort of on two, your second hut, and away we go. And you will tell us this beforehand when we huddle up before we sort of get to the line, or if we're not huddling, you'll tell us this some way through code.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: What
0: code? You'd have to kill us. I'd have to. I'd have to kill you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Don't ruin it for him. <laughs> yeah, this is this right. is
0: more intense than the Enigma machine.
3: <laughs> so what's the hard count?
2: What's the soft count?
4: So I wouldn't say like a soft count, so to speak, but you have, you know, your normal, you have your normal count, which is usually you go what's called on one. And so they go through some some sort of cadence, and at the end they say something like set hut or set go or ready go, and you snap the ball. A hard count is you don't snap the ball on the set hut or the ready go. He goes through what is his normal cadence where you would normally snap the ball, but you don't snap it. But you don't. don't (laughs) (laughs) And the idea is defenders are getting used to you snapping the ball in a certain rhythm. And so when you don't snap the ball in the same rhythm that you've been doing all game, sometimes defenders jump. And this is the hard count.
3: Psychology.
4: Yeah, exactly. And so we would be going on two or something. And so if they don't jump, then he just says, set hut again, and then we snap the ball and we go.
0: So I'm just wondering, when you talk about the game this way, there's so much strategy, so much history, and so much culture to it and psychology. And so you, you've looked at the changing physics, the changing technology of the game. How much has the strategy changed along with that, like with the changing of the shape of the football and with the changing of uniforms and the protective gear? How has that all interplayed?
3: Oh, the strategy, and John can speak to this too, the strategy goes along with the rules. As more rules are developed, people will find ways to get around those rules. And there's a lot of innovation based on, you know, the loopholes in the rules. So uh, the strategy continuously evolves. I mean, the, the point is to have more points than the other person, but it's, you know, as people get bigger, you have to, you have to adapt. If you have a small team and another team is quite big, you have to adapt. You have to figure out how you're going to, you know, manage to get around these people. So there's a lot of innovation. So the strategies have evolved too.
2: So uh, there's game theory is what you're saying. Like if they do this, then we do that. If we try to get them to jump across the line by changing the cadence and so go ahead.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely game theory and some psychology, like John was just saying, where, you know, you, you're trying to psych people out into doing things that, because they've gotten a, they see a pattern and you want them to feel comfortable with that pattern. Um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, long ago there was this um, high school team in California that had really, really small guys and they were going up against really, really big guys. Well, how are they going to survive? Well, they found this loophole which made it possible for them to have a different arrangement on the field. And so they confused people so they didn't know who was going to get the ball. So that's what I'm trying to say that there's just innovation where people will study the rule book and just find some kind of loophole and figure out how they can take advantage of that.
2: So speaking of studying the rule book, I mean, John, how much time do you guys spend studying the other team before you play? All week you watch video of the, of the other
4: team, right? It, uh, it varies by level, but at the professional level, you spend a great deal of time analyzing the other team. And there's whole sort of like departments of people who are responsible for looking at the opposing team and giving us information about them.
2: Anissa, do you analyze it? You put electronic marks on people and watch them move by people, uh, players, and watch them move around and analyze it like billiards or something?
3: Well, when when I was writing Newton's football, we didn't do that kind of study, but we wanted to know who started this process of studying tape. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that Vince Lombardi was the person. He was very scientific. He actually taught chemistry and physics back in, uh, when he was a high school teacher. So he put, a, uh, put an analytical approach to football. So that was the kind of question like who started this idea of studying tape because that doesn't seem like something new you would attribute but it's very scientific about how they study the other players study the other strategy so that they can make better decisions. Yeah,
4: it's very mathematical. They make sure it's not a uh, too it's not too sort of numbers oriented for players but uh for coaches they get a breakdown of different situations down in distance area of the field. Uh Based off, you know, what the score is and different things, what is the opposing team, what tendencies does the opposing team have? And this is really helpful. So for instance, one, the sort of thing that's really useful is maybe we do a breakdown and we really notice that when we get into the, what's called, let's say the low red area, which is sort of like the, uh, when we're getting close to scoring, we inside the 20
2: yard line, right?
4: Yeah. Right. When we get in there, we know that the opposing team really likes to call a certain type of blitz on yeah. second and third and long. And it's a high percentage thing. This is the sort of thing we'll study so that when we get in that situation, we can expect for them to call that exact play and we'll have a play prepared specifically for it.
2: So here comes the blitz. What's going to be your play? It's third down and long. If yeah, it you're depends on the 19 blitz. Like like-
4: maybe they're uh, blitzing their... Inside linebackers, and it's something called a cover zero, which means there's no one covering the deep area Mm -hmm. and you're blitzing six people. Uh, Well, maybe we'll call, you know, uh, a slant, like a slant for the inside receiver, where the inside receiver goes directly where these two middle linebackers are blitzing from. So by slant, he
2: goes diagonally across the field, diagonally
4: across the field, and he's sort of moving towards. The space where, let's say, the two blitzing linebackers just left. The open space. Yeah. The open space. That would be a reasonable play call for that situation. How much time does a
2: quarterback and do you as a lineman have to, to sort of evaluate the situation? In this case, we know we're anticipating a blitz, we're anticipating there'll be an open space right in the middle behind <laughs> the defensive lineman. And are we going to count on the primary receiver getting there or are we going to count on all three primary, secondary, and tertiary receivers getting there? <laughs> How complicated does it get at that in that specific example?
4: In that specific example, let's say the quarterback comes up to the line and let's say it's a hard count.
2: No, the hard count is where you're trying to juke, trying to fool the other guys.
4: Well, maybe not just fool them, but maybe you're trying to see what they're going to do.
2: <laughs>
4: so you let's say you do a hard count. And you see that they're, the two middle linebackers are coming up and they're going to blitz. And mm-hmm. so then you sort of see this is coming and you sort of just change the play as the quarterback often. You say you sort of give an easy, easy. Everyone sort of knows, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to change the play. He tells us a new play that's going to take advantage of the fact that we know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then he snaps the ball. And the play clock is uh, usually about 40 seconds. So – you know, after the last play ends, you have about 40 seconds, you huddle up, he calls the play, you get to the line, and if you move relatively quickly, there's enough time to go through, let's say, a hard count, stop, change the play, mm-hmm. and then run the new mm-hmm. play. There's usually enough time.
2: Oh, All right. Nice. Now, we have been talking about the game theory and the math and what have you, and I like that. But at some level, you guys are literally bashing heads, Right. And there is a lot of discussion these days—discussion about concussion. Mm-hmm. So, John has—are the helmets better than they used to be? Will, the, will this problem ever be tractable?
4: I don't know. Uh, I, the helmets are much better than they used to be. I can tell you that. Comparing my helmet to my father's helmet, it's it's much higher quality. I can just tell by looking at photos of my father that that helmet didn't didn't look very good. <laughs> right? But uh, I think. I think there really is, there's an inherent sort of violence in the game. This is part of the appeal, and this is sort of part of what makes football what it is.
0: Right, but initially, you're, you're, you're all about the material science. How much has material science improved the protective gear, the helmets and other protective gear?
3: There, there are better helmets out there uh, to improve uh, someone's, to, to lessen the risk for concussion. Some of them look crazy, like, you know, you look like a bobblehead. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to have a lot of material that can uh, dissipate that force so that it doesn't reach your skull. Um, you know, in race car drivers, they have very good helmets to protect them from concussions, but those helmets are extremely expensive. So there's, there's other factors as well in terms of the helmets. What you need to do is you need to get rid of that force. You have to prevent it from getting to your head. And so the more material that can dissipate it and send it in other directions, uh, you have a better chance of it not reaching your brain and causing it to, to, to wobble a little bit.
0: Well, well John, did you did you ever suffer any serious injury? Uh no. I I
4: had some knee problems once. I hurt my hip once. I hurt my neck once. I uh, had a <laughs> No, joint. I didn't have any just, problems. Just the usual minor stuff. <laughs> no, but <laughs> this is this is actually truly very minor. I had a couple broken fingers and I had a one concussion, but these are like compared to most yeah. football players, I had a very very clean sheet. In fact, I remember I was at the Combine after my sort of college career preparing to sort of go to the NFL. And when you go to the Combine. What's the Combine? So the NFL Combine is something where they take all the sort of top college prospects and they just want to test us and examine us. They want to see how fast we are, how Wh- strong we are. Where is this are.
2: on earth? Where does this take place?
4: Uh, usually in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And they also want to see sort of like what in what shape our body is in. And in fact, a lot of doctors were in disbelief because coming out of college, they were trying to sort of find like injuries on my body, and I was claiming I had like no actual real major injuries through college, and I actually had like nearly a clean sheet. One doctor mm. was so proud of himself because he found like a a pinky injury on me.
0: So did you go from being the least injured guy on the football team to the most injured guy in the math department? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Good question. (laughs) This is one thing I'm very
4: happy about is to be able to play football for, you know, a decent amount of time and to be healthy afterwards. This is is something I'm very happy
2: about. So talking about injuries, you got one concussion that was in the major leagues or NFL. I mean, Mm -hmm.
4: and what happened? I got hit on the side of the head and I was sort of, you know, I was out for a little bit and I ended up missing a couple weeks, but then eventually I, you know, I, I got better. These things improve. And then, you know, I, I was back in action.
2: When you got hit, could you tell you'd had a concussion and the world was weird? Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, I could tell I got knocked out. I, I could tell oh, I had oh, a concussion. Oh dear.
2: Yeah. dear. Oh dear. Yeah. So Anissa, this gets to a, a question that I, I believe you are expert on. Why doesn't Woody Woodpecker get a concussion? The woodpecker is smacking his head against the
0: tree. (laughs) (laughs) And can can we make football players more like that?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, woodpecker hits his head about 12,000 times and no concussion. Uh, It's a couple of things. First, their brain is smaller. Uh, Smaller things can handle bigger forces. You know, if I were to drop uh, my cell phone off this table and if I were to drop my desktop off this table, my cell phone would survive, but my desktop would not. Um, The... Woodpecker's brain is also tilted, and so there's more contact area, so the force can be dissipated. So that's another reason why um, the
2: yeah a problem with concussions isn't just the uh, impact along the line of getting hit, but when the brain rotates in the skull, right? When the contact is offset a little bit.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's the brain hitting the inside of the skull, and you know there it could be some torsion that happens, but it's really that the brain uh, undergoes an impact. And that's why you can have a range of different symptoms based on where the brain collides with the skull. You can just have dizziness, dizziness, uh, or, you uh-huh. know, you know, it's, it's really dependent on where you hit, where the brain hits.
2: But Woody Woodpeckers has designed for this.
3: He has designed for this. And actually there's some, there's some people who study birds. They're called ornithologists. This is a big debate between them about why woodpeckers don't get concussions. <laughs> Uh, some will say that it's the beak. Some will say it's the brain shape and the size. So there's a range of different things. And the, I, I just stated what most people agree on.
0: Okay.
2: So do football helmet designers study woodpeckers?
3: Well, the woodpecker won't
2: help us. Well, they hardly speak English. I mean, I've... <laughs> well, also, you
0: would you need uh, football players with smaller tilted brains, it sounds like. That, yeah, you that, you that, that, that might that, be an issue.
3: That's, yeah, that's an issue. But... Rams. If you ever go on YouTube and you just type in "rams" and you see how they collide,
2: you're not talking uh, about the Los Angeles football team. You're no, talking about no, no, the talking about animals the animal, out there. The yes. animal,
3: right? They have these huge horns, and the horns are made mostly of keratin. Keratin is a protein that's very, very spongy and curly. Or
2: well, your so fingernails, right?
3: Your fingernails, your hair—that's that's got keratin in it. So you can imagine maybe if we looked at changing some of the materials so that it was sort of like keratin, where it absorbed the uh, impact a little bit better. That might be another way to go.
2: So are you guys going to do that, material
3: science people? Are you going to change the shell? Well, there are people who have proposed new helmets that have these gradations in the type of polymer. Um, it's just that they can't get an audience with the people who, make, who manufacture the helmet. So there are definitely different solutions Why well, can't they get an audience? Their genius You'll, is unrecognized? I mean, it's just, it's really hard to change uh, equipment and um, they just don't have the right people to get through.
2: Wow, you heard that out there, innovators.
3: Science rules will
2: be right back.
1: From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available Intelligent 4-Wheel Drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent 4-Wheel Drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
2: You're listening to Science Rules. So, John... Your thing is as near as I can tell you're into eigenvalues? Yeah, you're into yeah, I like vectors.
4: Uh, I like eigenvalue problems, eigenvalue algorithms. So, eigen my understanding is German for proper, the proper value.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. that's right. Let's talk about how you made that transition. First of all, I can't believe
4: that we're we're actually going from talking about football to now talking about Eigenvalues, eigenvectors, and, like, eigenfunctions. This is – we've taken a real left turn here. No, we're just going downfield. We're advancing the ball. (laughs) I see. see. I've always enjoyed math ever since I was little. But once I got to college, I really had a newfound appreciation for math, especially when I found that uh, my math instructors in college were really answering this question that I felt like math teachers earlier on weren't answering, which is this question of why which is something that I've always been really fascinated.
2: Why with. what? Why so underscore blank?
4: I, let me explain what I mean. So as opposed to, let's say, telling you there's a certain formula that governs some process or a certain formula or a certain technique you can use to solve something.
2: What's a this uh, is like? A, rate times time equals distance? I want to know when I'm going to get there. So I've Yeah, or let's put, just
4: say Pythagorean theorem. Okay, A squared plus B squared equals C squared for a right triangle. The how is, this is the formula for the Pythagorean theorem. Now let's use this on right triangles and let me show you how to use this. But the why is, why is this the formula for Pythagorean Why does this theorem? work? Why is yeah. the universe set up yeah, this why, way? Yeah, why, why, why does this Who's work? running the why show here? Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. convinced yet. I need to know for sure. And it's these type of questions and answers that really interest me. And so I was taking math classes in college for uh, an engineering degree, and my math classes were my favorite classes, so I just
0: switched. Wait, and football was going on at the same and time as And football was well. going
4: on, but I just wanted to get a taste to really know what I liked. And after I took my first, like, uh, I took a senior level math class, and I took a, like, uh, introduction to, like, proofs class, and after taking these two classes, and I, at the same time, I took, like, uh higher level thermodynamics class as well to get a feeling for engineering. And I just really loved the math classes.
2: Oh man, you and I
4: are different. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Sorry. Where were you going to school for the audience? Uh, I was going to school at Penn State.
0: Okay, so Uh, now here you are, you're at MIT and you're doing what? So I'm at MIT and uh, these (laughs)
4: days, I work mostly in uh, applied mathematics, uh, what I would broadly call sort of like applied linear algebra. What are you
2: applying your math to Mm -hmm. right now? So
4: often I'm trying to solve, let's say, a certain type of eigenvalue problem, which might have some application in a field that's not sort of directly purely mathematics. So what's an
2: example? Like I think about, I'm not joking, everybody, when you talk about statistics and eigenvalues, something I've heard about but not know about is predicting how many people will buy airplane tickets on a certain weekend or something. You can optimize the prediction.
4: Is it something like that? Yeah, something like that. I can tell you one eigenvalue problem that I'm really interested Please. in. Please. So, one useful thing in uh, data science is the following type of problem. Suppose you have some large data set in some very high dimensions. So, let's say you have like, you know, 10,000 points in dimension, you know, 10 billion or something. So, when you say dimensions, mm-hmm. You're talking about how tall is the person?
2: How much does he, is a man or exactly. woman? How much does he weigh? Is he wearing a red shirt or a gray shirt? And so th- these are all be dimensions. Yeah. Although right, to maybe in reality, this guy is
4: gonna it, do. it would be more like what websites do they visit? You know, oh, there, what ads like, do you know, oh, there, what it it yeah. we okay. want to sell oh, this person? Perfect. Like, yeah. Yeah. Let's be yeah. real. We, we could uh, be realistic. No, yeah. I like it. No, no, <laughs> sure. so each of those yeah. are dimensions. Each of those are dimensions. And maybe you, you can imagine we have 10,000 people and we know a billion things about each person.
2: But yeah. I can imagine you have three
4: hundred million people, and you know a billion yeah, things. Or about yeah, or let's say three hundred million people, and yeah. we know a billion things yeah. about them. And now we want to use some sort of tool to try to better understand how people are similar or how people are different. And one common way to map high-dimensional data, meaning each person has you know let's say ten billion bits of information, into a low-dimensional space where it's much easier. To use certain machine learning algorithms is to actually take this data set, build a matrix, which represents the similarity between data points and Mm -hmm. actually compute the eigenvalues of that matrix. And the key idea... So what are, what are
2: those? What are the
4: proper So you're values?
3: consolidating, consolidating, and consolidating the information so that you don't have to deal with all that information, but you have something that just kind of bubbles up the... the most important thing. Commonality. Yeah. So, so it's to, almost yeah. a way
0: of like collapsing down the dimensions yeah. to, until yeah, you get the yeah. numbers to a level where you can work with them and understand them. It's so
3: cool. Hey, John, can we do something to make uh, people... Be nice to each other with all this data.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, surely, somewhere in that, in that, in those billion dimensions, there's got to be something that correlates with being nice to each other.
4: <laughs> no, no, no. These are these are good questions. Also, I I'm ashamed to. Well, I'm not that ashamed, but I'm a little ashamed to say that. Yes, this example I'm telling you is interesting. Yes, this is a real example that people use eigenvalue algorithms specifically for a certain type of matrix, which I care about. But really, mm. the thing that interests me is just I think the problems are nice.
0: They're just enjoyable things yeah. to work
4: on, enjoyable things to think about. They're mathematically interesting. This is really what what draws me to them.
0: I mean, do you find them beautiful? Do you find them th- – do they give you like a sense of calm in your head? What does it feel like when you're doing it? Just – it feels fantastic. It feels like I'm just solving a puzzle, like, like a puzzle out of do you a feel... puzzle
4: book. Like a Martin Gardner puzzle book or something, you know? It just feels yeah. – you feel the sort of – the thrill of the challenge. The thrill of the challenge. Corey. Oh,
2: wait. Corey. Corey, Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa.
0: I hear something. Thunder Thunder. means lightning, and lightning means lightning round. Means the lightning round. if If my logical connections are correct, Bill, it is time for the lightning round, lightning fast questions, lightning fast answers from our not one, but two guests.
2: So, let's see. I think we should alternate. Scientifically speaking, who's the best football player you've ever seen? Jerry Rice. Ndamukonsu. What makes him? What makes Jerry Rice great? He just caught all those passes.
3: He caught all those passes, but he was able to catch a pass from a left-handed and a right-handed quarterback, and they're not the same. And he trained and trained and trained, and he's done things that other people can't. There we go. Plus, he's a nice guy. Well, well there you go. And
2: John, you said?
4: Ndamukongsu is a physical freak. He's, you know, like 300 pounds. This guy is incredibly strong, unbelievably fast, and just the single most athletic person I've ever seen in my wow. life. Wow. All
2: right, John, to you, which
4: famous scientist would have made
3: the best football player?
4: Me, <laughs> me.
3: I'm trying to think of who the biggest guy, maybe bohr Oh, uh, Niels, M- he <laughs> <was pretty laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he was pretty tall. Yeah, he was pretty big.
2: All right, so Anissa, what do you think the next innovation in football is gonna be?
3: I think it's gonna be more of this muddy ball Uh, data analysis. I think uh, the data science that we were just talking about. The
2: sabermetrics of football. I think so. Yeah. So uh, then, John, if you're playing in an empty stadium, does that give you a boost or does it handicap you? And you can go ahead and pick home team, away team. If I'm away team, I love it. Because you don't hear the crowd hassling you? Does it get to you when you're playing? No,
4: but it makes it harder to communicate.
2: Harder to hear, yeah. Anissa, besides football... What is the best sport to apply science to? Baseball. Yeah, it's just every, every pitch is yeah, a everything. statistic. Yeah. Yeah. John, do you have an opinion on that?
4: I think baseball is pretty good. Set pieces is quite nice. Although uh, I imagine billiards is probably very interesting.
2: Well, here's the last, the last lightning round question. Why does everybody hate the New uh, England Patriots?
3: Because they use science best.
2: Thank you so much. Our guests today have been Dr. Anissa Ramirez, author of The Alchemy of Us and Newton's Football, and John Urschel, former NFL offensive lineman for the Ravens, who, like so many people, is getting his math PhD at MIT, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So remember, when it comes to sports, especially perhaps science Science rules. rules, And if you like Science Rules, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out, helps other people learn about the show. So thank you. Be sure to look at my socials for more information on our upcoming guests. I'm at Bill Nye on everything. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 201-472-0785 or submit your question to askbillnye.com. Science Rules is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell, the very same. Frank Olson mixed this episode. Casey Hallford composed our original theme. Josephine Margaron is our executive producer. And at Stitcher, Science 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 Rules.
1: Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.